Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, we'll be in Daniel 5 today, and I want to start by giving some context to this chapter. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has now been dead for many years, and whatever hopes there were for uh, reformation and justice in Babylon died with him. Uh, Now a man named Belshazzar is on the throne, and the writer paints his character in a colorful way. Uh, We're told immediately that he's throwing a party for a thousand nobles. So you can imagine the the size and the expense of this party. And in the first four verses, one verb gets repeated five times so that you can kind of know what the main activity of this party involves. Uh, See if you can find what that verb is in Daniel 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine... They praise the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, so what's the verb that keeps getting repeated? It's the verb to drink. Uh, That's what's going on at this party. And there were women at this banquet. Uh, To have women at an ancient royal banquet was a little unusual. Uh, But if you notice carefully, you see they're all women of his harem. They're his wives and concubines and they're drinking as well. Uh, They would be there for one purpose. Uh, The writer is using fairly restrained language here, but he's making it very clear that Belshazzar is giving free reign to any appetite he wants to indulge and encourages those around him to do the same. That's where the royal treasury is going. That's where his money is going. And on this occasion, because habitually indulging any appetite gets boring after a while, sin always follows the law of diminishing returns. He has an idea to spice things up at this party. He remembers the goblets Nebuchadnezzar had obtained uh, many decades earlier. They were uh, abnormally valuable. And more than that, they were considered uh, sacred objects. They had never been used for anything other than the worship of the God of Israel. This king decides it would be kind of entertaining, might relieve some boredom to take these vessels, which were the expression of devotion and holiness for an exiled people, and he uses them for an orgy to mock God. Now, I want to make a comment here. The beginning of verse 2 might be interpreted while he was under the influence of wine, he gave orders to bring the goblets. Now, the implication being that alcohol prompted him to do what he would have never done otherwise. Clearly, the writer here is highlighting the role of wine. 
Now, I want to say a word about this. I don't know what your background is. I grew up in a church tradition where we took great pride in never touching wine. Like one of the ways you could tell spiritually mature people was they never drank alcohol. This made certain sections of scripture uh, kind of embarrassing. Uh, for instance, we never talked about verses like Psalm 104:15, God makes wine that gladdens the heart of men. Like we never talked about how Jesus turned water into wine and Jesus actually drank wine. We didn't mention that because it's kind of embarrassing to admit that you're part of a system that ends up saying we're more spiritual than Jesus. Uh, so I just want to be real clear. Biblical writers do not say that abstaining from alcohol is the way you separate the sheep from the goats, as we often got confused about in the church that I grew up in. But the abuse of alcohol, its misuse has caused untold suffering in this world. And that's what's going on here. And I wonder if Belshazzar drank sometimes because he was bored or felt guilty or empty. It seems clear the writer wants us to understand it was a factor in his sinking to depths that he might never have sunk to sober. I say this because I've had people real close to me struggle very deeply with this problem. And I'm sure you probably either struggle with or you know someone who struggles with this issue. And all too often, churches just don't talk openly about this. The truth is, addictions can be one of the most destructive, devastating forces in our world. So I want to say today, if you wrestle with this problem, if you think you might have a problem in this area, get help. Don't let this ruin your life. There are recovery groups you can turn to for help. Like, I'll help you find the right one. I mean, just let me know. You can email me at matt at blueoaks.church and I'll get you, I'll help you get the help you need. Maybe you're concerned about someone you know, maybe a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend or maybe someone in your workplace. Again, I've known situations where people have known year after year and decade after decade that someone was destroying their life and no one did anything. Don't let that happen. Take action. That person might require an intervention. And again, let me know. Uh, we want to help you. Like, send me an email. We'll help you figure out what the next step is. We're committed to that. Well, in this case, in Daniel 5, there's going to be a very dramatic intervention. Look at verses 5 through 16. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed, 
don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirits of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. All right, so Belshazzar is throwing this party and from nowhere, uh, the fingers of a human hand appear and begin to write near the lampstand. Uh, my guess is Belshazzar's first impulse is to wonder if he's had a little too much wine, that maybe he ought to switch the coffee. Uh, but then he sees uh, that the words are real, and this terrifies him. He can't understand the message, and that further uh, frightens him. No one can help him. But the queen, most likely Belshazzar's mother, remembers an old advisor of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Belshazzar sends some men to track him down. Uh, they get him out of bed in the middle of the night, and Daniel is brought into the middle of this room. And you have to understand the drama of this moment. In the beginning of this book, if you've been with us through this series, Daniel was a young man in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Uh, over 60 years have gone by. Daniel is now an old man. He moves very slowly. Uh, his hair is probably gray. Uh, although gray hair is not a sign of weakness in scripture, it's prized. Uh, Proverbs 16:31 says, gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's often associated with wisdom and great virility. Uh, well, wisdom anyway. Uh, Daniel is probably in his 80s, uh, we knew him when he was a, a young, strong man. We saw that at one, uh, at one time in his life, he was uh, the right-hand man of the most powerful king on the face of the earth. And now he's been so thoroughly discarded that this king doesn't even recognize him. He says, are you Daniel? Uh, not because Daniel's lost his ability, but because this king is a joke. He doesn't want to hear the truth about himself or God. And one glance tells Daniel what's been going on in this room, that this king who was charged by God to serve the people is serving only himself. And then there's the moment that Daniel sees the golden goblets. Uh, he hasn't seen those maybe since he was a boy. And Daniel thinks about his home that he's had to live away from his whole adult life. And he remembers maybe what it was to worship in the temple. Daniel remembers when he was a boy and he would gather with God's people and those vessels, those golden goblets that cost them so much to create were used for the worship of God. And he sees what they're being used for now. And this king 
who has trashed Daniel's career, forgotten Daniel's people, and blasphemed Daniel's God, sees the writing on the wall and asks Daniel for a favor. Which, by the way, uh, this is where we get the phrase, the writing is on the wall. Like, he saw the writing on the wall. It's a biblical reference to this story in Daniel. The king says, tell me what it means. And he tells Daniel that he'll give him lots of gifts. And the implication is, it will pay for Daniel to tell Belshazzar what he wants to hear. Because if you have power, you can often get people to say what you want to hear because you hold rewards and you hold punishment. You hold life and death. It doesn't mean you get the truth. Oftentimes, it actually means that you don't get the truth. If you're speaking to someone who holds power, maybe a powerful person person in your family or someone higher up in the organization, you might shrink back from speaking the truth because you want to obtain those rewards and you don't want to receive that punishment. And so Daniel, this old man, makes it very clear to Belshazzar that he will not play that game. He wants Belshazzar to know that he can't buy his way out of this one. This is just a magnificent courage of this old man. All right, look at verses 17 to 23. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your reward to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar's sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the God of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Now, Daniel may share one of the most arresting phrases in scripture. And I just want to look at it again with you. Daniel says to Belshazzar in verse 22, But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Daniel says to Belshazzar, you knew. I mean, it's bad enough that Belshazzar did such stupid and wicked things. What makes it worse is that he knew better. God had given him a front row seat for all that happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar had been given what he had from God. He knew the penalty for pride and arrogance. He knew who God was. He knew what God wanted. He still chose death. Daniel says, you knew. 
Now, there's a very, very deep human dynamic at work here, and it's this. We avoid responsibility for knowing the truth because we want to do what we want to do. I remember one time driving through the grapevine on the 5 freeway on our way to Disneyland. I looked in the rearview mirror, and there was a flashing blue light, and it wasn't a Kmart special. Uh, the officer pulled me over and asked what I think is a favorite question in that moment, right? <laughs> Do you know why I pulled you over? Uh, I don't know why you pulled me over. You tell me. And then he asked me another question. Did you know the speed limit on this stretch of freeway is 65 miles per hour? And of course, I didn't know. Uh, I'm sure it was posted on signs, but they're going by way too fast for me to read them. I tried to explain to him, my mom and wife and kids are on our way down to Disneyland on vacation. Uh, we're taking a vacation from my work at the church. Uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, did I mention that I work at a church? <laughs> I told him that I didn't know the speed limit changed. Now, here's what the police officer did not say to me. He did not say to me, oh, you didn't know the speed limit changed? Well, it's okay then. I thought you knew the speed limit changed and you knew what the speed limit was and you sped anyway. I mean, that would be a problem. But now in light of this new information that you didn't know, well, you're free to go. Have fun at Disneyland. He did not say that. Even though I didn't know, even though uh, I wasn't going all that fast, just like two or three or 14 miles above the speed limit, uh, justice came my way that day. Now, of course, the truth is that I've been driving long enough to know that speed limits change. The truth is, I didn't want to know. And I'll tell you, when judgment day comes, to have adopted a strategy of saying, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to avoid looking at the signs and claim ignorance, it's not a real smart strategy. Belshazzar did not want to know, and so he closed his eyes. He didn't want to look at the signs. He pretended that what happened to Nebuchadnezzar had nothing to do with him. He threw another party. He drank a little more wine. He blew a little more money to keep his mind off of it. But deep down inside, he knew. He knew. This is one of the great dangers of spiritual life. We can call it strategic avoidance. We avoid thinking about reading about, talking about, dwelling on, looking at that which might convict us or cause us pain or call us to change. What's staggering about this is I know what's right. I know God is judge. I know that Jesus died for my sins. I know the pain my sin causes God and the world that he loves so much, and yet I still sin. And so I just want to be very personal for a moment. Is there any area in your life where you know, but you're just closing your eyes? Maybe you're a mom or a dad and you've been making work your idol and your children are just shriveling up inside. You lose them a little more every day. But by keeping real busy, avoiding reflection, steering clear of deep friends that might actually speak truth to you, you can avoid thinking about reality. You're not looking at any of the signs, but deep down right now, you know. Maybe you just let your anger fly. You use words that 
draw blood that drip with sarcasm or contempt. And you just avoid studying hurt looks in the eyes of your children or your spouse or your friend or your coworkers because you don't want to know. And this goes on day after day, week after week. You never admit that you have a problem, though it leaks out of you all the time. You never seek the help that you need. You pretend like your relationships to this world are fine, but deep down inside, you know. Like wherever this might fall for you, don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Belshazzar knew better. He knew a day of reckoning was going to come, and now it had. And we'll talk about what God wrote on the wall in just a moment. So have you ever watched a scary movie without sound? Well, if you have, you probably wouldn't say that it's a scary movie, right? Because it's not scary without sound. It's because music enhances the film experience. What we hear enhances what we see. Have you seen the movie Jaws? And now that's one movie that changed forever how I experienced the ocean. All I need to hear are the first two notes of that soundtrack for the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. You know, these sounds, they resemble sounds that trigger our fight or flight response long before we ever see anything. And these sounds can be a tool, right? A warning for us. We can hear them and prepare our minds. We prepare our reflexes for the terror, the terror that's coming. You know, he may not be in a horror flick, but Belshazzar is experiencing the music before the fright. And yet, you know, he's trained his ears not to listen or hear. And beyond that, he's filled his mind and body with wine. So he's also created a shield, a sound barrier against the music, you know, against what he knows better. And we do this too, we do. It's not just alcohol that can become a barrier. We have so many things that become addictions or become huge distractions. You know, many of us, we're, we're pretty good about finding ways to tune out the music. We're pretty good at fooling ourselves or at least ignoring red flags. And we ignore red flags when we're dating someone new, when we're looking for a new job, certainly when we're reflecting on our lives and choices. But here's the thing. Today we're invited to join the story. We get to see the faults of Belshazzar, and now we get the opportunity to really reflect on what's happening in our own lives. You know, as a community, let's challenge ourselves. Let's open our ears and listen for the warning sounds before the fright. Let's pay attention to the red flags. If not, we might end up like Belshazzar, you know, seeing some pretty insane things written on our walls. Let's rejoin Matt and see what happens when Belshazzar starts to panic. All right, God writes three words on the wall as a warning to Belshazzar. And there's kind of a wordplay involved. Uh, they love this sort of thing in the ancient world. These three words have kind of a double meaning. Uh, each word is a unit of measure, like a pound, ounce, and a half ounce, that implies that Belshazzar has been measured or evaluated. But each word also has another meaning. Each word serves to uh, puncture an illusion that Belshazzar clings to, that makes it possible for him to live in spiritual denial. And so the first word that appeared on the wall is mene. Uh, verse 26, many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. And the word I want you to remember is the word numbered. Now, the illusion involved here is it's my life. My life belongs to me. I'm the king. I'm free to do whatever I want to do with it. 
I'm responsible to no one but me. And the truth is, God has said, I've numbered your days, Belshazzar. This is not mainly a a chronological statement. It's mainly a theological statement. It's not just your life. Like you are where you are because God created you and God gifted you and appointed you to do the work for him while you're on this earth. And the irony is you thought because you were king that you were accountable to no one, but the reality is you're accountable to God. Daniel Webster, a famous senator back in the 19th century, was asked one time, what's the most profound thought that ever crossed your mind? And he said it was this, man is accountable to God. Every human being that walks the face of this earth will one day stand accountable before God. You see, the great illusion of our day is, it's my life. I can do with it whatever I please. The truth is, I've been given this one life from God who made me and appointed me and I'll stand before him and account for what I did with it. Because the sacred vessel that Belshazzar has been profaning at the most was not the golden goblets. It was his life. It was his life. It was his soul. Mene, God has numbered your days. And then there's a second word, tekel, tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And the word I want us to remember here is weighed. Uh, There's an illusion here also. The illusion is it's possible if I'm clever enough or strong enough or powerful enough to get away with wrongdoing. Uh, It's possible to get away with it. This belief that we can get away with stuff is deeply rooted in human nature. When I was growing up, my mom kept a candy jar in the kitchen uh, and it was off limits. We had strict rules, which had always been enforced. And then my younger brother came along, the baby of the family, and he would go into the kitchen and close his eyes because he believed that at that point in his life, that if he couldn't see anything, like no one could see anything. (laughs) So... He would stumble around until he found the jar, get the lid off, take out a piece of candy, put the lid back on, and kind of stumble back out of the kitchen with his eyes closed the whole time. And my parents, who never let my sister or me take candy, would watch it, and no one would punish him. Like, they would laugh at him because they thought it was so cute that he did it. I didn't think it was cute because he was 17 years old. Uh, This is something that goes real deep in people. It's an amazing thing to me that even in the church, when we sin, our big fear often is that someone might find out. It might damage my reputation. You know, people might talk. People might not think so well of me. I just try to keep it a secret. Then it'll be okay. Even in the church, we think this. You know, it really doesn't matter what anyone knows. It doesn't. What matters is what God knows, and God knows everything. Belshazzar, not much more in touch with reality than my younger brother was when he was little, closes his eyes to spiritual reality, takes whatever he wants from the candy jar, and then he, he thinks he's gotten away with it. And God says to him, you're being weighed, 
If you think my eyes are too weak to see, if you think my mind is too dim to know what's going on on this earth, if you think you've gotten away from with uh, defying my authority and oppressing the people that I charged you to serve, you're badly mistaken. I have seen every action. I've heard every word. I've monitored every thought. You have been weighed on the scales and you have been found wanting. This is serious business. This is God. This is the judgment of God. And then a third word, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. The word I want us to remember is the word divided. Just those three words to sum up this life, numbered, weighed, and divided. Your kingdom is divided and taken away from you. There's an illusion involved here too. And the illusion is my life will go on the way that I want it to go on for as long as I want it to go on. I might know that there are some things in my life and my character that need fixing, but there will be plenty of time to get around to those things when I'm good and ready. And God says to Belshazzar, what he says to another rich guy in the New Testament, you fool, you fool. This is your day. Your life will be demanded from you today. Your kingdom will be divided. You see, all you're guaranteed is this one moment. You just have this one life to do what God calls you to do, and you have no idea how many more days are going to be involved in it, for you or for me. Just this one life to do what Nebuchadnezzar did, to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness for sin. Daniel says to Belshazzar, King, this is your last night on this earth. Your whole life has been numbered up to this point, and this is the end. Daniel says that, and then he's silent. And then we wait for Belshazzar to respond. We wait for him to do what Nebuchadnezzar did, to raise his eyes toward heaven, to humble himself and submit to God. We wait for him to do what the prodigal son did in Luke 15, to fall on his knees, to come to his senses, to do what the thief on the cross did next to Jesus, to throw up a final prayer to realize how desperate he was to fall on his knees, to repent of his sin and beg for mercy. And it's just silence in that room. Verse 29 says, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians was slain. He dies, alienated from the God of heaven. And the writer lets his life stand in stark contrast to Nebuchadnezzar as a severe warning to anyone who refuses to humble himself before God. And that's the end. So I'd like to ask you to think as you look at these words about your final night, which will come for you and for me, as it did for Belshazzar. You may be listening and haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. I just want to say something to you. If you're not a follower of Christ, uh, if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that no one measures up to God's standing. Like everyone is weighed on the scales and found wanting. That's why Jesus died to pay our moral debt. That's why God offers forgiveness. And you know, if you understand this, 
I mean, you, if you choose to ask, you can receive forgiveness and life. You can do it right now. You can do it today. And I hope you will. If you're a follower of Christ, we don't have to worry about our eternal destiny. We have this free gift that God has given us. But I do want to ask you, if the writing were go, to go on the wall for you today, if you were to find out that your days were numbered and coming to an end, do you have any unfinished business? Is there anything that you need to take care of? If it should turn out that this day would be your last day, is there something that you know you ought to do? Is there something that you ought to take care of? Do you have someone you need to forgive? Maybe you still haven't done that. Maybe you need to get started on it now. Do you have a real piercing regret? And there's someone that you need to ask forgiveness from. Well, do it now. Maybe you need to change patterns in your parenting or the way that you've been relating to a spouse or a friend. Maybe you need to finally get serious about addressing a sinful habit. Well, get serious about it starting today. Maybe God's been calling you to serve or to give in a way that he's allowed you to do. And you've been resisting it for whatever reason in your heart, maybe for fear, maybe for stubbornness, I don't know. But you need to say to God, yes, how can I serve you? How can I give to you? Do you have anything you need to take care of? You know what's at stake. This is your one and only life. Would you just submit to God with complete devotion right now? All right, I want to pray for you. God, I just pray for those of us who have things that are not taken care of in our lives that we need to devote time to today. God, would your Holy Spirit just can continue to convict us about those things? Maybe we need to forgive someone. Maybe we need to let something go. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to reconcile a relationship. Maybe there's a, an addiction that we struggle with that we need to finally today make a decision about and get the help that we need. God, whatever that, whatever that is, that when we stand before you, if this was our last day, uh, I pray that we would just take it seriously. We hear so clearly from your Holy Spirit about these things. Help us not to push it aside. Help us to humble ourselves before you and to deal with those things that you want us to deal with. God, would you help us to take the steps that we need to take, that you want us to take, that will benefit us, that will benefit our relationships. Maybe for some, it's just taking a step in their relationship with you. Maybe it's actually making a decision to follow you today. I pray that we would make these decisions today, God, and that you would help us. God, help us to get to the point in our lives where we're just free and clear, but that we know we're doing the things that you want us to do, that we're not living in pride and arrogance like Belshazzar, but we're living a, a humble, uh, servant-oriented life like Nebuchadnezzar did at the end of his life. Help us to give you glory for all of the things uh, that we have, all of the gifts that we possess, all of the life that we have, the family, the possessions, 
the the careers, the jobs, the everything is uh, everything that we have is because of you and help us to have that perspective. God, would you just continue to uh, work in us, help us to come back to these passages and continue to learn from them to live the kind of life that you want us to live. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.